Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. Hello, my dears. This is probably my last installment of summer poetry episodes. Unless you have a summer poem you'd like to send in to me. If there's one you want to hear me read and talk about, let me know. And if there's one you'd like to read, just record it on your little recording app on your phone and send it in. We could do a little open mic episode and hear some listeners' voices reading some summer poems. And maybe I'll think of more and add another episode, but this is all I have for today. And I came to a place that I thought would be quiet, and there's literally hammering and sawing going on, which kind of makes me laugh because if I had wanted to go somewhere where there was hammering and sawing, I don't know if I would have been able to find one. And yet I came somewhere I thought would be quiet, and here it is. There's some sort of construction going on in this building. Maybe someone's building a bookcase or something. I don't know. But I don't want to wait. I'm going to, while I'm here with all my hills of papers around me and my mind in the right place, just going to keep going with this episode. So please forgive the background noise today. I'll see what I can manage to edit out with my rudimentary editing skills. As I mentioned in my first summer poetry episode, just recently, it was easier to find end of summer poems than high summer poems. So the one I have today is a blatant end of summer poem. End of summer poetry is some of my favorite. It's such an evocative time of year where death and life come together. Um, So carnal, so full of smells and sights that strike our hearts with the beauty and the loss that come together at that time of year. Way back in episode 41, I shared what's probably my favorite end of summer poem called End of Summer by Stanley Kunitz. You can go back and listen to that one if you please. It's pretty fun. But I like to add to my collection. Um, So I have a Jane Kenyon poem today and then to introduce it I thought I would read something a short one by Emily Dickinson the first line of this poem's summer has two beginnings so I'm going to call it that it's just three little stanzas of four lines Dickinson talks about summer coming and then the Indian summer as we call it that comes at the end that more early fall part of summer and I think in her poem she maybe explains partly why the end of summer poems are so striking and moving to us. I'll read this two times. I'll read it and then I'll say a couple words. It's hard to take Dickinson in at one listen. So here's a first listen. Summer has two beginnings beginning once in June, beginning in October, affectingly, again. Without perhaps the riot, but grafficker for grace, as finer is a going than a remaining face. 
departing then forever, forever until May. Forever is deciduous, except to those who die. In true Emily Dickinson style, there are some twisty sentences there that might be hard to hear on a first listen. <clears throat> I'm going to do a little paraphrase. The first stanza isn't too difficult. She says there's the June summer and then there's the October summer, but I like her word affectingly. There aren't many words in this poem, but affectingly gets at what I've been trying to talk about in many words, which is the way our emotions are brought in to this second summer, this end of summer time. Then she says, this second summer maybe doesn't have the riot of the early one, the blaze of fresh new leaves and just that energy that the June summer has. But she says, grapher, it's more graphic for grace. Maybe meaning because it's a gift to have the summer linger, to have it still be warm and sunny when fall is coming on. It's a grace, it's a gift, and so it's more appreciated for that. But then she says this little simile, just as a going face is finer than a remaining face. When we say goodbye to someone, there's a certain poignancy to the way we look in the face of that person who's leaving and who we won't see again for a while. Then the last stanza, she says, summer departs then, or maybe this person, someone departs then forever. And then the cute little forever until May, which, oh, in just so few words, she captures that feeling of when the season leaves, it's behind you and it feels gone and like it will be forever to get back to it, but it's only a year. So forever and a few months at the same time. And then her last couple lines, forever is deciduous. Ah, oh, I almost want to put that on a poster or something. What a beautiful way to talk about the seasons. Forever is deciduous. It comes and goes, comes back again. And that coming and going makes up our forever. And then, of course, Dickinson and her love to remind us of mortality ends with the line, except to those who die, the deciduous cycle ends with death. And, of course, she gives us a good slant rhyme there at the end with we're expecting something to rhyme with the word may, and she gives us the word die. And they echo off each other. I'm going to read this one again. Summer Has Two Beginnings by Emily Dickinson. Summer has two beginnings. Beginning once in June. Beginning in October, affectingly, again. Without perhaps the riot, but graphicer for grace. As finer is a going than a remaining face. Departing then forever forever until May. Forever is deciduous, except to those who die. I wonder if that second listening, if it opened up to you. I'm going to do more Dickinson poems. 
such good stuff. So good to make yourself listen and listen again to her genius. But I will let her be the introduction to the main course that I have, a Jane Kenyon poem called Three Songs at the End of Summer. And I think I am going to read it two times. Although it's a page and a half and it's in three parts, a longer part, a shorter part, and then a longer part again. Um, we've got time. I've got time. If you don't have time, you can come back when you do. You know I love Jane Kenyon. She truly is. I mean, if I had to grab three books when my house was on fire, hers would be one of them. If I could only bring one with me into solitary confinement, hers might be one. She speaks so simply, there's no tricks, and yet she's able to keep in tension the material and the emotional and joy and sorrow and loss and grief at the same time. Let me read this before I start yakking. Three Songs at the End of Summer by Jane Kenyon. Part one. A second crop of hay lies cut and turned. Five gleaming crows search and peck between the rows. They make a low companionable squawk and like midwives and undertakers possess a weird authority. Crickets leap from the stubble, parting before me like the Red Sea. The garden sprawls and spoils. Across the lake, the campers have learned to water ski. They have or they haven't. Sounds of the instructor's megaphone suffuse the hazy air. Relax, relax. Cloud shadows rush over drying hay. Fences, dusty lane, and railroad ravine. The first yellowing fronds of goldenrod brighten the margins of the woods. School books, carpools, pleated skirts, water, silver still, and a V of geese. Two. The cicada's dry monotony breaks over me. The days are bright and free, bright and free. Then why did I cry today for an hour with my whole body the way babies cry? Three. A white indifferent morning sky and a crow hectoring from its nest high in the hemlock, a nest as big as a laundry basket. In my childhood I stood under a dripping oak while autumnal fog eddied around my feet, waiting for the school bus with a dread that took my breath away. The damp dirt road gave off this same complex organic scent. I had the new books, words, numbers, and operations with numbers I did not comprehend, and crayons, unspoiled by use, in a blue canvas satchel with red leather straps. Spruce, inadequate, and alien, I stood at the side of the road. It was the only life I had. 
This has everything you could ask for from an end-of-summer poem, doesn't it? It has cut hay, second crop toward the end. It has crows. They make a few appearances. Crows are the state bird of late summer. They do possess a weird authority, as she phrases it here, to be that mascot of that time of year. And she says they're like midwives and undertakers, so she gets that life and death clash that an end of summer poem should have. She has crickets leaping from the stubble, which that rattle of grasshoppers on dry grass is really, truly a late summer thing around here, too. And then she puts in the sprawling, spoiling garden. You know I love those. You know I love the unromantic mention of the late garden that gets so gross and wild and deathly. So there's a little line in there nodding to that. And then... The lake and the campers and the water ski lessons, that's so evocative too. The camp ending, the saying goodbye, the um, seasonal places where tourists come in the summer and then it empties out for the winter and there's that slow quieting. The echoing of the megaphone across the lake is holding summer. It's still summer as long as you hear that, but there's something haunting about that and Right after it in the poem, shadows rush over and things seem to empty out and yellow. And then she starts mentioning the school year coming back. The school year. But she takes a little break with that interlude to talk about the bright free days and the mysterious burst of crying. Now, a lesser poet would try to tell us why she was crying and how she felt and why and instead she asks a question if these days are so bright and free then why did she cry for an hour today like a baby well i think this poem has enough in it to help us answer that question maybe by remembering a time that happened to us or maybe just feeling this complex bittersweet layering of emotion and experience that is in this poem so then she goes back to the crows and then she goes back even more to her childhood have you noticed that how many of these summer poems and late summer poems include a memory if not of childhood of a sweet past of some sort i remember it in Stark's poem about mowing, where he remembered his father with a scythe. Um, in Robert Haas's meditation, the Blackberry, Blackberry, Blackberry poem, he thinks back to a lover from a previous summer. Um, the other Seamus Haney, well, both Seamus Haney poems are about childhood memories. I'm looking through my pile here. There might be more. It just seems like there's something about the deja vu of this time of year. And she mentions it with the smell, the damp dirt. She's smelling a complex organic smell that's exactly like what she smelled waiting for the school bus when she was a child um, on a rainy 
autumnal day. And then that nostalgia, there's a sweet nostalgia in childhood, but why is it so often shot through with this darkness too and this painfulness? With words here like dread and her breath taken away, confusion over the subject she's going to learn, alien, inadequate, and then that realization that you get one life and this is it. Does that echo for you off the Mary Oliver poem's last line? What will you do with your one wild and precious life? It does for me. We get one life. And what is it about late summer that reminds us of that? You tell me. I'm trying to tell you here in my fumbling way, but I wish you could tell me why you think that's the case. Something's weird. Something weird is going on that humans so universally seem to experience this, at least in our hemisphere at that time of year. Okay, I'll read this again. I so often just am completely aware of the inadequacy of my speaking about these poems. Sometimes I leave things out on purpose because I do want you to be able to think in your own direction, down your own rabbit trail, and not be trapped by the angle that I've chosen to take on these poems. But often when I finish recording, then I think, okay, well now I'm ready to start what I actually wanted to say, what would actually be interesting. And I do try to leave that for you, but also I do feel pained by it too. I wish I could do fuller justice to some of these as a gift for you instead of just starting the thinking process and then leaving you on your own. But that's how it has to be. If I went back and re-recorded until I was satisfied, I probably would have posted 10 episodes over the years and probably zero in the last year. I'm doing my best to bring my loaves and fishes to you and hope that they are multiplied somehow into a gift. So I'll end with Three Songs at the End of Summer by Jane Kenyon. This is a good one, isn't it? I hope you're excited to hear it again. I'm looking forward to reading it. It goes like this. A second crop of hay lies cut and turned. Five gleaming crows search and peck between the rows. They make a low companionable squawk and like midwives and undertakers possess a weird authority. Crickets leap from the stubble, parting before me like the Red Sea. The garden sprawls and spoils. Across the lake, the campers have learned to water ski. They have or they haven't. Sounds of the instructor's megaphone suffuse the hazy air. Relax, relax. Cloud shadows rush over drying hay. Fences, dusty lane, and railroad ravine. The first yellowing fronds of goldenrod brighten the margins of the woods. School books, carpools, pleated skirts, water, silver still, and a V of geese. Two. The cicada's dry monotony breaks over me. The days are bright and free, bright 
and free. Then why did I cry today, for an hour, with my whole body, the way babies cry? 3. A white, indifferent morning sky, and a crow, hectoring from its nest, high in the hemlock, a nest as big as a laundry basket. In my childhood, I stood under a dripping oak, while autumnal fog eddied around my feet, waiting for the school bus with a dread that took my breath away. The damp dirt road gave off this same complex organic scent. I had the new books, words, numbers, and operations with numbers I did not comprehend, and crayons unspoiled by use in a blue canvas satchel with red leather straps. Spruce, inadequate, and alien, I stood at the side of the road. It was the only life I had. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.